Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast from Chronicle Live. I am not Andrew Musgrove. Uh, Andrew's taking a, a well-deserved holiday. Uh, I am Sam Mulliner from Newcastle Fans TV. Uh, I've been on the uh, podcast before, so hopefully a few of you should be familiar with me. Uh, I'm honoured to be joined by Mr John Gibson as we run through yesterday's one-all draw at Molyneux. Uh, John, have you caught your breath after that dramatic late equaliser? Relief, total relief, Sam. Um, yeah, <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful strike. I mean, a lot of people have seemed to suggest, just because it's 89 minutes or whatever, that we pinched it, you know, that we're Dick Turpin and should have a, a mask on. I mean, I didn't see it that way at all. I mean, we buried them on stats, tell the story. We buried them on possession, 60-odd percent, and we're playing away from home. We buried them on shots, and we buried them on corners. Um, so if you've got all that play, you should really win the game. And for me, there was only one reason why we didn't win the game, and that's because one bloke was sitting in the stands and another bloke was sitting at home, i.e. Uh, Isaac and uh, Callum Wilson. If they had, if one of them had played, I honestly believe we would have won some. Yeah, well, let, let's start from the, from the lineups, uh, Gibbo. We'll we'll come on to uh, stats later because there was a very interesting post match interview with one of the Wolves players. But, yes, um, indeed. When one o'clock came and the the team news came out, no Bruno, no Isak, no Callum Wilson. Dan Byrne was past fit and took his place at left back again. What were your immediate thoughts? Because we were a bit concerned. I, I was very, very concerned because the Bruno thing came out the blue and he is the heartbeat of Newcastle for me, Bruno. Um, I was concerned with Isaac, with the work, uh, the international clearance not coming through in time because, and I don't mean to be res disrespectful, but Chris Wood is not the answer. Chris Wood is the reason why we have bought Isaac. If you get a £25 million centre-forward and he does the job, you don't go and buy Isaac. You go and buy Isaac because you've got no real, real potent backup to Callum. And Callum is a, a, a huge miss uh, and a bit of a shock. I wasn't expecting it three matches into the season, for goodness sake. He's hamstring to go. I mean, it goes regularly, but I, I expect it'll get a bit longer than that. Uh, so when the team news come out, uh, yeah, I was a bit depressed. There's no question about it. You take Bruno out the side, you take both your top strikers out the side, um, and you're beginning to look a bit thin on the ground. Uh, so, under the circumstances, I was concerned. I was a bit uh, fortified by the fact that Wolves can't hit a bond or three paces. Uh, they don't score goals. They're like Brighton. They can do pretty patterns, but they don't score. So they, they were never going to take the game totally away from us. And I thought in lots of ways, bearing in mind we were away, Sam, and not at home, it reminded me a bit of the game of Nottingham Forest, i.e. we dominated possession, we uh, looked good up to the final third, and yet we never created chances. It, was a, it wasn't quite as dominant as that because we were away rather than at home. But it reminded me a bit of Nottingham Forest. And if you remember that game, Sam, uh, it took two worldies uh, yeah. for us to win. And it took a worldie here for us to get a draw. 
I mean, we, we dominated, I felt, both games, but just couldn't. Uh, and it just told us why we need Callum kept fit and we need Isaac to do what we expect them to do because we're well short of top. Yeah, that was pretty evident, wasn't it? I mean, Chris Wood went through on goal fairly early on and, and won a corner, but nothing else. Um, yes. Other than that, I mean, if if you could get a goal for application and determination, Miggy will be top scorer every season. But the the final pass, and I know I may uh, upset Andrew a little bit in his absence, but because I know he's a, an Almiron fan. But yeah, I upset him every time we do this. <laughs> <laughs> but, Almiron, it's just the final ball, isn't it? The final pass, yes, the final is. shot. Yes, it's it just is. not quite there, is it? I mean, the enthusiasm is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the willingness to work is wonderful. If you want somebody to defend from the front, he's your man because mm. he'll play up top and he'll run back 40 yards to get in the sliding tackle for a, a throw-in. There's absolutely no question about that. If you're looking for somebody to finish on a regular basis... It isn't going to happen. Um, and, you know, just touching on the Chris Wood situation, and I'm only doing that because of Isaac and, you know, why that is good news for us. I mean, he was the only centre forward we had yesterday, Sam, and yet he was sacrificed in an hour. One hour and he was subbed. That tells you, and that left us with no centre forward. We played uh, Alan Sam Maximum in a, a false nine. Um but that was the input that Chris Wood had. Again, if you can get pluses for wanting to work hard, for wanting to be willing to be honest in quotes, and I hate that word. You know, when I say describe to me a footballer, and one of the first words, this used to happen when I had dates and I'd go to my manager, he'd say, he wanted to sign somebody. I said, well, tell me about him. And if the first thing he said, well, he's an honest player, I would say, well, we're not going to sign him. Because honesty ought to be automatic. I can be honest, but I want somebody with skill. You know, is there any chance that he scores goals or is skillful? So, yeah. But, I mean, I, I thought we deserved, at the very least, what we got. But it did tell me why we have Isaac uh, and why we had pro problems with Callum's fitness. Um, and I do believe if the guy had been playing centre-forward instead of sitting in the stand... One chance would have dropped to him and we would have won the game. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm so excited about the signing of Alexander Isaac. I mean, I can't believe we've got him to, to for a young centre-forward who's yep. just got so much potential for, for him to come to Newcastle. You know, it just is a real, real statement of intent. Well, but, I think that was the boost, Sam, wasn't it? That was the yeah. huge boost and that's why we were disappointed before the kickoff. When we found his international clearance hadn't come through and the guy couldn't play for us. I mean, you know, I mean, you want a tough start? Well, Liverpool away is a tough start. That's his debut now, you know. He'd be yeah. thinking to himself, thanks very much, like, you know. <laughs> but uh, somebody's got to start somewhere. And um, I'm looking forward to Palace and seeing him come out in front of uh, a full house at St James's as well. Absolutely. I mean, other than up top, I, I felt there was a couple. Of of key areas, key battle areas yesterday that I want to touch on. The first one, obviously, in midfield. Now to replace Bruno is is a mammoth task for any man. Now, um, Sean Longstaff got the nod, 
and he was sat in front of the back four, uh, kind of doing that Shelby role, which Bruno had been doing since Shelby's yeah. injury. I thought first half, a couple of stray passes from Sean, but by the end of the game, I think the midfield can sort of hold their head high with a with a bit of credit because Wolves' uh, strongest area of the pitch for me was that midfield three. Yes, it is. It, it, it is Wolves' strength. I thought we we started off quite loose in there, and I thought Joe Linton was quite colossal, which he, he normally is. I mean, did you have... Would be saying that. Oh, Joe Linton played well, but he always does. When he was a centre forward, I didn't think I was ever going to get to the stage where I was saying that, but I say it and I actually mean it, which is wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, for Willock, bless him, it was an unfortunate match because uh, A, Mr. City, when when we ought to have had a penalty in just yeah. 12 minutes, I mean, why did I mean? You know, Sean Longstaff should have taken his top off and said, if you wanted that much, there you are, put it in your back pocket. I mean, it was, you know, it's billowing out behind him where he's got the tug and nothing happens. Don't even go to VAR. When the ball broke from that to Willock, when he came here on loan, he would have took that away without thinking about it because he was scoring automatically then. He shot like a bloke that, that feels that's the one part of my game I'm not confident in at the moment. I mean, he didn't even hit the target, bless him. He, he, he took it with the wrong foot and it went well past the post. And it was a real opportunity. And then on the goal, I mean, it can happen to anybody, but he didn't close down hugely quickly and the ball was struck through his legs. So he must have been well sick at half-time with with those two incidents. But we, we came into it more and, and that's where they dominate. You're right. They've got some pretty players, good players, knocked the ball around well. They were the poor man's Brighton, aren't they? Um, you know, they knock the ball, they're not as good as Brighton, but they knock the ball around attractively. But you never feel you're going to be hurt. They haven't got a goal scorer, they haven't got a goal scorer. Mind yesterday, we didn't have a goal scorer till till, uh, till some maximum was, and it was a stupend. Both the goals were worthies, weren't they? They were, theirs and ours, uh, both long distance outside the box, struck beautifully. But I mean, with some maximum, who I didn't think, incidentally, that a terrific game at all. You know, Sam Maximum, he was one of those frustrating, I'm going to sit on the ground and throw my arms in the air and demand a free kick displays. Um, but his ability is such. I mean, it was a poor clearance, but the ball's spinning from way up in the air and he doesn't take a touch. He just volleys it. But the technique there is absolutely stupendous. Absolutely stupendous. Uh, both the goals were excellent. Um, I'm not so much bothered about theirs, but I was relieved about ours. And you know what? I tell you what, Sam, and I know I'm biased because I know he's granddad, but uh, I, my heart went out to uh, Elliot Anderson because yeah. he could have won it. He come on late with all the mayhem and the header that smacked against the crossbar. He could have won it for us. And what would that have done to his career if he'd won it for us in the in the last minute? Uh, that lad's got a future. And um, my heart went out for him, but he, he's got a genuine future. I thought he's looked incredibly sharp both games this week. Tramir, I thought he was our best player playing in between the lines. Looked very sharp, very, um, very quick, Absolutely. very nippy very creative and then when he came on yesterday he, he was superb and you're right he could have won it but um another kind of key battle area for me which kind of surprised me a little bit when I saw the lineup was our left hand side um, yes. Wolves, Wolves looked 
dangerous on the counter attack, as you as you alluded to before, John, about Wolves' pretty players. Well, they've got a few of them out in the wide areas, and I thought Dan Byrne was probably left a little bit exposed, and maybe it was a game for just Matt Target to start. Yeah, he, he bless him. I mean, <coughs> Stan, uh, Dan Byrne will give you everything. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at just the building, he's never a left back, is he? You know, I mean, you couldn't imagine uh, Earl Grey on top of Grey's monument playing at left back. You know, he, he's a centre half that'll head the ball away all day long. But he's out there. He can look a little bit cumbersome. He's going to give you everything. He, he'll be shrewd enough positionally. But with legs that long, you're going to look cumbersome, aren't you? And if you're against a clever player, you look like a centre half playing left back, and he looked like a centre half playing left back. <clears throat> I think. The reason he did play, apart from the fact that poor old Eddie's going to have to make a major decision and upset somebody very shortly, be it Bachman or Byrne or Shaw, and perhaps he's not looking forward to that and this show owns them all in. But no, Byrne is not a left-back. And if he plays left-back at, at, um, at Liverpool with a inter-moving uh, forwards, it could be a tad embarrassing. I think the reason he played left back was target was short of um, match fitness, match sharpness. He may be fit, but he's not sharp. And I think that showed Sam at um, Tranmere yeah. on their goal. The, the fella ran away from him. It, the fella ran away, and the minute he ran away from him, you knew he wasn't going to catch him because he's, he's not up to sprinting speed yet. Uh, target, and I think. He only got 45 minutes there. I think the managers looked at it and said, look, let's leave a, a good formula alone. At least they, they were able to play with that formula against Man City, albeit they let three in, but we, we played magnificently. Uh, and I think he just decided to leave it alone. But you've got a problem when, with Liverpool away coming up, whether you run the risk of leaving Bernard left back or whether you bring Target in and... The obvious thing would be to bring Target in if you think he's anywhere near match fitness. It's a strange, wasn't it? Isn't it? Because like a few years ago, you'd play a couple of games in the Premier League, then you'd have a break for a pointless international friendly. Whereas, whereas now the games are coming thick and fast. We've got another midweek game coming up, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully Target is match fit because I thought when he came on, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I, I really did. And when we were pushing for the winner at the end. He was he was the one kind of left tracking back because Botman was was up trying to get on the end of things and whatnot, and yeah. he made a couple of vital inter interceptions. Um, did target, but I do just want to touch on Sven Botman actually because I'm a huge fan, a huge fan. He looks just an absolute Rolls Royce of a centre back. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He's been a terrific signing. I mean, there was certain fans or certain pundits sort of suggesting. Well, he's essentially a left-sided centre-half. He's a tall left-sided centre-half when we've got a tall left-sided centre-half, i.e. Dan Byrne. Do we need another one? <clears throat> or should we have got a midfielder or a winger? Or, you know, I heard one or two people saying that sort of thing. While quite happy to have Bachman and love and Byrne. But um, you can see why you would take him. Uh, Age-wise, ability-wise... Uh, Burn is 110% uh, and I love him to death for that, but this fella's a Rolls Royce. 
um, Burns and Nobly knees Jack Charlton and this fella's a Rolls Royce. Uh, there's a slight difference. You need them both. Big Jack won a World Cup when his medal by being a Nobly need centre-half. But you know what I'm talking about. When you, Visually, when you look at Dan Burn and you look at Botman, they visually look one glides and the other rushes through pouch. Um, so I can see why we've got him. It does produce a problem. It's a lovely problem. It's not really a problem. Everybody says, oh, that's a problem. We've got two wonderful centre forwards or something. Is it a problem? I think it's a great problem to have. Um, but it's going to be interesting if you don't go to a five. And I'm talking about in the future. If you don't go to a five, and I don't think Eddie will, he might on the odd game, but he's a, he's a back four man. Uh, then there's a choice to be made between Shaw, Botman and Byrne at some stage because Byrne's not going to stay left-back. There's absolutely no question about that. So there's a, a decision to be made. But Botman, as you rightly say, looks a, a quality, quality player. But, I mean, I think the signings this new regime with uh, Eddie Howe, because Dan Ashworth's just coming to the picture now, I'm talking about the January window as well as this one, I mean, the signings made have been absolutely wonderful. The only one that quite hasn't lived up to it, I think, is Chris Wood. And uh, I think we can be truthful about that uh, for 25 mil. Uh, no, he hasn't solved the problem. Uh, but all the other signings, you know, Target and Buckman and, and Byrne and Pope and Bruno, I mean, they've been absolutely terrific. Uh, the standard of, of our signings in the last two windows, I feel, have been superb because you always have problems with signings. Nobody's a genius and can everybody you sign turns out to be a gold nugget. Always remember in the old days, Bob Paisley, when he was at uh, Liverpool, a northeast lad, as you know, probably from Hetton, etc., uh, etc. Et and the office said to me, look, have a word with Bob, see if you can go down and stay with him. And the, the idea was the secret behind Liverpool. That was the idea from the paper's point of view, because they were winning everything. They won the, the European Cup three times. I mean, he was the most decorated manager of the time. He won more trophies, Bob Paisley, who was like your granddad in the cardigan with that big moon-shaped face blessing. He was, he was your granddad. He was the most unlikely manager to look at and talk to, but his shrewdness was amazing. And I went, he was wonderful. I stayed down there three days. He took me everywhere with him, picked me up in the morning as he was going to the training. I spent the full day with him, dinner at night, back to my hotel, picked me up next morning. Absolutely. Yes, it was Geordie's and all that business. But he said to me, because uh, I was talking about signings and talking about, uh, you know, the ones that don't happen. And he said to me, Gibbo, the secret is when you make a bad signing and the definition of a good manager is the one that makes the least bad signings, not the one that makes no bad signings, the one that makes the least. He says, and when you make a bad signing, what a lot of managers try to do is justify the signing by keep playing him and hoping he gets better and he gets better and he never does. He says, the minute you've made a wrong signing, you've put him in the team. Oops, dear, not working. He said, get him out the team. Don't let him anywhere near the team and sell him at the first opportunity. And the fans forget he was even here in the first place. He said, managers try to justify their signings by playing wrongings, and it, it, it just emphasizes it. 
And I think that's very, very true. But the point I was making of that is that everybody makes average signings. And Newcastle United virtually haven't in the last two windows. It's been superb. Yeah, the recruitment has been fantastic. I remember I was in the away end yesterday and um, Botman had just shirked off two Wolves attackers like it was nothing and then pinged a 50-yard crossfield pass to Trippier's right on his right foot. It was pinpoint accuracy and you're just looking, going, wow. It's- it's it's a, it's amazing, Sam. Because to you know, when you've got that ability, there's nothing. It's like it's like to him. I mean, you know, it's like you're just second nature. You just get the ball, go pam, and off everybody goes and everybody plays. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely terrific. Uh, Trippy has done terrific for us. Uh, been a wonderful, inspirational signing. I mean, we're only in the League Cup because of Trippy. He turned yeah. the match completely down at Tranmere. Um, and Bruno's Bruno. Uh, and not only do we love him when he's there, but we love him when he's not there because we see what we're missing. I yesterday, yeah, indeed. Um, right, VAR, the three letters that uh, makes <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes some people skin crawl, but um, it's it, it came to our rescue once, maybe twice, um, yesterday, but it, it certainly it hindered us in one incident, um, which you touched on before. Um, yeah, we'll go through the three incidents, but we'll start with the Sean Longstaff penalty. Do you think that gets given had Willock had the ball not fell to Willock to get a shot away? That's one of the only things you can think of why it, it wasn't given because. It was a play-on situation and he ought to have buried the chance. We should still have had a penalty. That that doesn't count at all. But, I mean, there's some things that are difficult to see. Uh, manhandling people in the penalty area just becomes second nature. People go into bear hugs in penalty areas, don't they? I mean, you would think they were, they were doing an excuse me dance or something. Uh, people get that close in the penalty area these days. But here... He had a hold of the shirt. Longstaff tried to move away. So the shirt was tugged out and billowing at the back. I mean, a blind man could have seen what was happening. And that was a penalty, full point, no question. Why that didn't go to VAR was given, uh, I don't know. We're very, very aggrieved. But of course, as you rightly said, what compounded the whole thing was the ball broke to Willick. It was a very good opportunity and it, it was... It snapped at and nowhere near taken. But that was a penalty and that really incensed me because, you know, if we're going to play with this VAR, which was supposed to improve things, stop the cheats, etc., etc., well, then stop the cheats. And it's harsh, but that was cheating, pulling somebody's shirt like that. Um, that was a penalty out and out, and I felt very aggrieved about that. Uh, you're not the only one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it, it it was one of them, as you say, where it was it was a clear shirt pull. It was clear as anything, and and maybe I with these decisions with VAR and and this sort of comes into the Fabian Share incident as well. I I like to use a cricket analogy of uh, umpire's call, whereas if yes. it, it kind of goes with the on-field decision, and it's that kind of grey area in between: is it hitting the stumps? Is it not hitting the stumps? Yes, for an yes. LBW appeal. And um, the, the Fabian Share one, if the referee had awarded him a red card on the field, I don't think that would have got overturned either. 
No, neither do I. I. I mean, I've got to hold my hands up and be truthful with the Fabian Shaw one. I think that's almost made it 1-1, if you know what I mean. The, yeah. the long staff one and this one. Because if this had been a raid, if that had been a raid, I couldn't have complained after the game. I would have thought, oh, he might have just got a yellow on another day, etc. But you couldn't complain. Um, you know, it was a huge risk taken by Shaw. And uh, he was very, very lucky to get away with it. And therefore, we were lucky. Um, yeah, uh, that one, if it had been a red, we would have sworn to our beer and said, what was the guy doing, etc., etc. But we wouldn't have said the referee of uh, was a lunatic. I mean, I've got to be honest. Like um, the, the challenge happened not far from me. And, and to maybe stick up for the referee on this one, as soon as it happened in real time, I thought yellow card crack on, and then the player stays down, and the VAR check. You think, oh, hang on, okay, yeah. And then nothing gets. I mean, he wasn't even sent to the monitor or anything. And then you see it after the game and whatnot on the highlights. It looks think, bad, doesn't it? That's a nasty one. You know, when you said you're standing in the crowd and you said, uh, you know, yellow card and let's get on with it. Would you have said that if they cut San Maximum in half and have been one of their players? Go on, say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Anyway, we've got to take each one on its individual merit. I think we got away with that one, but we didn't get away with the Sean Longstaff one. But there is a third one, of course, isn't it? There is the third one, of course, when um, Wolves thought they'd gone 2-0 up and killed the game off. Um, to me, this was probably the most blatant one of the lot, hence why it did get overturned. Why this wasn't awarded on the field is beyond me. The ref seemed to have a good view of it. It was as clear a foul as you'll see at any point, uh, the foul on Ryan Fraser, which allowed Wolves to, to break and, and for them to Absol- score. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Uh... It was so obvious it was untrue. And anyway, you, you can't physically abuse a little lad like Ryan, poor little soul. I mean, they, they're clambering all over him. He's only about five foot four. <laughs> but being serious, it was it was so blatant. It was untrue. Whether the ref is, is sort of thinking, oh, dearie me, this is a home crowd. They've scored what they think is a great goal. I choke it off. I'm in big trouble. So... I'll have a think about it and let somebody else take their responsibility, which is bar. But uh, what I found was excellent as well. I don't know if you noticed, Sam, or you could see from where you were, but when we were going crackers, our players, after the, the ball was in our net, Trippier raced across, Skipper, of course, uh, in the um, in the absence of Lascelles, run across and held all the Newcastle players back from the referee because we might have got a bloke sent off because they were ready to give the referee a mouthful. And he held them back. He had both arms out at his side with players behind him, holding the whole lot back and talking to them over his over his shoulder. And then he went forward to the ref as the skipper to make the point. But I thought that was terrific captaincy by Trippier of trying to control the situation and protect his own players. Because... If the goal had been choked off, and it was always going to be, 
one of our players could still have been off if he'd have verbally abused the referee. Uh, they, they wouldn't have said, well, oh, that's all right. The guy was right. The, the player was right. You're off. Um, so I thought Trippier did well, and that was a very minor point, but it could have been a major point. No, it, oh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Just goes to show how big an impact Kieran Trippi has made with with the leadership qualities he displays, yeah. and he's just such a model experienced pro who's who's got such on field intelligence. Because it, it, like you say, it's easy to to lose your head a little bit and and appeal to the referee, oh, but absolutely, it it takes that sensible head to to think in the heat of battle that was going to get checked. And it, yes. and it was a clear foul, so it's obviously going to get overturned. So let's yes. not risk a booking or a red, like like you say. It sure. just goes to show a huge influence in the dressing room and, and kick-started. He was the first one through the door post-takeover, wasn't he? And just kick-started this whole revolution, if you like. Well, I mean, that's one of the things why I love him and Bruno so much. They got on board the ship when the ship may have been sinking, long before takeoff. And they didn't have any clauses inserted in that contract that if Newcastle went down, they could bail out. They got on board the ship because they were willing to. They believed in what the new owners were doing and they believed in the manager and they got on board the ship. They helped steer it out of choppy waters into calm waters and now everybody else can jump on the ship because we all know where it's going and that's upwards. But, you know, Trippier and Bruno were terrific in committing themselves early doors. And when you look at them on the field, their commitment to the cause, I mean, they can both play, but they'll both get wellied in as well. There's absolutely no question about that. They, they're ready to spit and fight and do the dirty work as well as the, the good work. Trippier will take his free kicks and score and Bruno will get six and spray passes round. But if they've got to put a foot in, they'll put a foot in. And they've epitomised the Newcastle rise, which really has just happened this year, Sam. It's quite staggering. It's a 2022 thing. I yeah. know that, they, uh, you know, um, Eddie came at the back end of the... Like, but all the, all the great takeoff has happened 2022. And it's frightening to think it's that short a time that all this has happened. I mean, a year ago, we were just at the start of a 14-match run with no wins, which was certain to see us relegated if Ashley and Bruce had stopped. And no club had ever got out of a, a position as dire as that, and we did. So what's happened and is in such a short space of time, you've got to nip yourself to make you realise that it is short. Absolutely. I remember the last season stood outside Molyneux in October when it was um, teeming yeah. with rain with yes. my uh, my esteemed co-presenter on my podcast. And um, we were, we'd were accepted relegation in October. It, yes. it, it, oh. We were just so down and out. And then lo and behold, the following week, the takeover happens. And Ironic, Ironically, the peg was Wolves again, um, Sam, wasn't it? It was yeah. the Wolves away game of last season. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was no, uh, no Jeff Hendrick to equalise this season, though. Thankfully, but yeah, um, that, yes, that's another plus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I, I think a testament to Eddie Howe, though, because the further the game went on, the in the second half, and there was a few changes made. Fraser came on, Elliot Anderson came on. The further on into that second half, Wolves were looking tired, but we weren't. We were, we were. Our fitness levels were way ahead of what they were this time last season again. Oh, yeah, So yes. you just felt that if we can just get a chance, which obviously did happen in the end, 
we could get something from the game. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is one of the many, many pluses in what Eddie's put. I mean, you know, he's an absolute workaholic, Eddie, and a deep, deep thinker about the game. You know, I feel that he'll probably get up at two o'clock in the morning where one of us would go to the toilet. He'll get a notebook and write down the ideas he's had for training the next day. He, he thinks about it completely and utterly all the time. And one of the great things he's done, apart from organisers, which is one major thing, apart from instilling confidence in the side, he believes in the team and the team believe in him and the, the, the showing of it and tactically putting us on the front foot instead of back foot. But, I mean, he's got his fitter and that was huge. Mind, there was great scope for it because un, under Bruce, we spent as much time uh, having a, a couple of days rest uh, as we did on the uh, training ground. But he, he's got us that much fitter. But we couldn't play the way we play now. We couldn't press from the front if we had the fitness levels that we had at the beginning of last season. Absolutely no chance. That's why it took a little while for the Eddie Howe doctrine to get into the team because he had to get the fitness levels up when he first came. Uh, and that is a huge plus from our point of view now, how fit we are. And um, as you say, finishing the game strongly uh, as we did yesterday. Yeah, we really did. We got the equaliser, as we touched upon before, through an absolute wonder goal from Alan St. Maximin, um, who I was lucky enough to spend some time with last week. And um, what a, what an amazing chap he is. It just, well, he obviously inspired him, Sam. Well, it's not for me to say. It's not for me to say, <laughs> but it was it was the day before the Man City game and we had a bit of a chat and, you know, he gets... I'm, I'm, you know, three assists and, and a goal in the space of a week after. But it's not for me to say. But, not, uh, no. but you, you better see him before the Palace game. Absolutely, Alan, if you're <laughs> listening. Um, but what a tremendously controlled volley that was from a, a, a I mean, Jacob Murphy pressurising Huang to make that clearance across his own goal. Sky high, ball spinning, as, as you said earlier, John, and just the control, nine times out of ten, that goes sky high and everyone goes, oh, but what, a, what a goal. If it had fell to almost anybody else in our team, it would have gone over the top. There, there's there's no question about that. And that's not meant as an insult to anybody. It, it, it's the way 99 times out of 100 is shot from there. Or somebody would have tried to touch try to bring it down to get more control and then have a shot. But, of course, you would have been closed off. by If you'd had a touch, all the avenues would have been closed by the time, you know, you came to have the shot. Uh, but you've got to have supreme ability. I mean, he got over it. Um, and, I mean, when you see it again and again, you see him drawing his foot back, everything's there waiting for it just to come my way and I'll bury this. And, uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's both our greatest hope and our frustration because, um, and the reason he's a, a frustrating player is because he can play. So you can get frustrated. You don't get frustrated by the average rank and file player who's doing his very best, whether that's Almeron, whether it's Wood, whether you don't get frustrated. You might get many other things, but you don't get frustrated because you know that there's nothing bigger there. But with this guy, there is, and he did a, you know, he's proved in two vastly different ways his worth to the team. Man City was his all round performance, which was 
quite mind-boggling. I mean, it is the best performance I've seen from him or a Newcastle player for so long. It's untrue, the performance against City. And then there was the performance at Molno, which wasn't one of his greatest. He dropped from that standard, but the finish was better than anything. So that's what the guy brings uh, to our table. And then, you know, while we've got injuries, because we're not certain yet who's going to be there against Liverpool, we're not certain if he's going to be there because he, he, he was feeling his hamstring. My only great um, uh, plus about him going feeling his hamstring is that he always tends to be the wounded soldier when he goes off near the end. So, you know, and uh, I give him that. But if, it's, if he has got a hammy, then he's in trouble, and so are we. Um, but often he's he's a bit of a drama queen, and I, most superstars are a bit of a drama queen. So I'm hoping it's more that than a genuine. But he was tugging the back of his his thigh, wasn't he, when he was sub? And that is a concern on top of the injuries we've already got. He was, yeah, and so was Kieran Trippier at some point during yes, the second Yes, half. he was. He, he I seemed, thought he was going to come off. Yeah, he, he seemed to run it off though. Thankfully, so hopefully there's not there's no lasting damage there. But obviously, after the the equaliser and before Elliot Anderson's header against the crossbar, Alan St. Maximum goes through one on one with uh, Jose Sarr, and you think, oh my God, we're going to absolutely steal it. Wolves are going to start dialing nine 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 because they've been robbed. <laughs> but it, it it just goes to show we're still so dangerous even in the late stages of the game because of them fitness levels and it's just unfortunate he couldn't tuck it away he smashes it straight at um jose Sarr, which maybe he could have had a bit more composure or is that being a bit harsh no i think i think it's been true but having seen what he did for the equalizer i'll forgive him anything um because you, you know we've got the brilliant goal it, Put his level, and I, I actually think deservedly so. I think if you're at home and you play like Wolves, I was sick of hearing about how Wolves were terrific defensively and blocking people and all. They're the home side where they've got so many pretty players, for goodness sake. Aren't you supposed to go out at home with the ability that you've got individually and look as if you're going to win it? Um, you know, if that had been Newcastle, if we had been in goal, that would have been very disjunct. Um, and as I say, if we'd had our full 11 out, I honestly think we would have won the game. I really do. If Bruno had played and the centre forward had played, either Wilson or Isaac, I think we would have won. I agree. I agree. Um, post-match, the kind of most eye-opening uh, thing to come out of yesterday's game was Ruben Neves' post-match interview. Um, whether he just uh, sank a pint of bitter or not, I'm not sure. But uh, he labelled Newcastle United a long ball team, um, and despite Newcastle having 62% possession and Wolves playing more long balls than Newcastle, um, uh, what did you make of that? It was bizarre. Well, it, it was. It was totally. Perhaps in Portugal, um, you know, they, they see things differently. But uh, I mean, I couldn't believe it, it because. We could have been accused of that so often in the past. Is he still living in the past? Does he think, oh, I know the Newcastle side of all, the whole long ball team, the, the, the can't play, etc., etc. That may have been true once, but it sure ain't true now. And, and, you know, I think he ought to be more concerned about the fact that uh, that Wolves don't score goals. I mean, last season, Wolves 
had the lowest goals fall record if all the sides bar the three that went down. That's how bad they were for goals last season. And they had one from three games this season before the long-range effort yesterday. So that if if I was him, I wouldn't concentrate on what's wrong with Newcastle. I would concentrate on the fact that we're going to get a centre-forward before next Thursday. Because if we're not, we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I think injuries have taken its toll on Raul Jimenez. He just doesn't look the same player for oh, no. anymore, does he? He was a wonderful, wonderful player, an artist. Um, and when you think of the injury he got, you know, Sam, it would butter you. It would concern you. Would you stick your head back in the in the, the mincer if you'd had the sort of injury he had? Uh, no, sadly. You see, you know, you get injuries with slow players. You get people that have hamstrings or whatever. You get Michael Owen, who was a certain player at Liverpool. But by the time we signed him, wasn't that player anymore. He'd lost a yard in that yard finished his whole game and yet we still sign him because we think we're signing the bloke from Liverpool. We're not. We're, we're signing the pay limitation. Um, and this is... So you get physical injuries that stop players. Uh, Alan Shearer had to reinvent himself at the end of his career. Um, you look at you look at Callum Wilson with injuries. This was a head injury. This was so different but it, it would concern you, wouldn't it? And if you think of him alone and take out, you know, the, our biased angle. It's a great shame because the, there was a wonderful player there and he's a, a, a bit of a shadow. It will always show on occasions, you know, yeah. where you'll get a glimpse of the old player because it's not a ball in the air, because he's forgotten about it, etc. etc. You'll get a glimpse of that wonderful player. But he's not the influence that he once was. I mean, he would have done what Jota did which is get a big transfer to a big club, i.e. Liverpool. Uh, he would have done that if he'd remained the Raul Jimenez that we all knew. Uh, it's a great shame, but it's a contact sport and sometimes that happens. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you mentioned there, obviously, the transfer window does close on Thursday. Did this yep. game sort of highlight that maybe we're not there yet as a squad and where would you be looking to strengthen? Because reports are that we're still after one or two, but Conor Gallagher and Christian Pulisic are set to stay at Chelsea, if you believe the reports coming out of there this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I, I, we're not the finished article. Who is? I mean, apart uh, from possibly Manchester City in the... They looked as if they needed a, a right-back against us for all the hard work and after some maximum got a hold of them. And so who is the finished article? Uh, Liverpool didn't look like the finished article till this weekend and then all of a sudden they did again. Um, yeah, I mean, we need, we've got hopefully the centre-forward we need. Uh, and he's such a good player. I don't think he's the traditional English bulldog centre-forward of... Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, Andy Cole. He, he's, he links play. He's got a great touch. He'll drift wide. You can see him playing wide to Wilson through the middle when they're both fit. Uh, he's a very, very different sort of player. A wonderful player. He's not 23 until next month. Um, but we've got that guy. So you think, are we going to buy another in that position? Probably not. Or get somebody on loan, which is much more likely. Um, I think a, a, in an ideal world, a winger and a, a, a midfielder who goes through and gets into the box would do, for me, fine. Um, whether we get both, 
Oh, we get one, but I would be slightly disappointed if we don't shine again before uh, 11 o'clock on Thursday. There is as well, and there's also the situation of outgoings too. Martin Dubravka looks like he's set to go to Manchester United to sit on their bench instead of ours. Um, what what do you make of that? Because I, f- it, it's, I find it a bit odd, but obviously the law of Manchester United will always be there despite yeah, the yeah, form. Yeah, I mean, he's going, he's going, because uh, A, he didn't play against Tranmere, and B, he wasn't on the bench yesterday. That tells you straight away that the guy's going. He's also agreed personal terms through his agent with Manchester United. It's just a matter of, does he go on loan? Do we get them to pay a fee now? Do we insist that they take him at the end of the season instead of having an option? We're trying to get some sort of deal that's to our benefit. He will go. Um, And yes, to the ordinary fan and to outsiders, it looks peculiar. Why switch our bench for their bench? Um, Because in the main, that's what you're going to do. Um, but if you're from Slovenia and you're not a Geordie, um, you know, when you retire, having Manchester United on your CV as well as Newcastle United played over oh, yeah, here sounds good. Because however much we might ridicule Manchester United at the moment and say they're nothing like what they were, as a worldwide brand, they're still right up there as a huge club. And I think he sees the... He sees the possibility, uh, he sees the definite, by the way, he's also going to get a big rise in wages. And at 33, they, you know, that'll appeal to him. Um, he's only human, he's got a family. He can afford to pay his gas and electric this winter. Well, one of them, maybe it's not both of them, but one of them, <laughs> he'd be a lot better off he'd be, uh, without a shadow of doubt. And I mean, I've got to be, it is a peculiar one on the surface, yet I can understand it. I think, you know, if he'd been asked to go to Wolves or to Brighton or even with it being the first team, would you, it would have had to be the first team before you would go. You wouldn't sit on their bench, but he, he would sit on the Manchester United bench. And who knows, he might take a look at the gear, not as a shot stopper, but as a he's used to the ball with his feet and think, I could get in there. Um, you know, and he may, he may see that as well. But I mean, he's been a very good servant to us in the bad old days before we had ambition, before we could have hope, when that had been sold out the window. And I would just thank him for what he's done for us and he would go with my blessings. I wouldn't feel any bitterness or he dumped us or left us in the lurch because he's not our first team keeper anymore. So he can't leave you in the lurch. Pope's our first team keeper. And all it means is that either Dubrovka or Darlow had to go before Thursday. Uh, And everybody would think it would be Darlow. Uh, so Darlow stays and it's now going to be Dubrovka. But you can't keep three keepers of the quality of Pope, Dubrovka and Darlow and still have Gillespie. Uh, one of those backup goalkeepers you've got to allow to go. Uh, and it's just turned out to be the one we weren't expecting. But he would go and I would have fond memories and I would say thanks very much, Martin, for what you did for our club. Yeah, absolutely. He's been incredible for us. Um, so plenty of transfer activity that uh, is bound to happen then before Thursday's deadline. Uh, the day before that, we've got a uh, the unenviable task of a trip to, to Anfield. Um, I have to be honest, I'm quite relieved they've got this 9-0 out of their system uh, before we play them. Because I know what it, you're saying. It, it was a matter of time, given their start, it was a matter of time before they tonked someone, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. And by the way, if you if you want to tonk somebody and they'd had by their standard a poor start, they were without a win in, in three. If you want to tonk somebody or you need to tonk somebody, get Bournemouth at home. If they're not the worst side in the Premier League this season, I'll stand tapping. I mean, you, you look at what they've done this season. They, they, they played home to Arsenal and let three in. They, way, they played away to Manchester City and let four in. They played away to Liverpool and let nine in. I mean, they are awful. They are absolutely awful. And I mean, while there was a couple of worldies in there and uh, Liverpool can do that, I mean, I think they packed in at half-time or before half-time, nine-tenths of the players. I mean, the challenges later on were so half-hearted that it was untrue. I'm thrilled they got uh, that out of the way. Um, you wonder if it's put them on cloud nine, literally nine, um, and that it's going to carry over to us. But hey, what odds would we have got, Sam, that Liverpool would win 9-0 and Saha wouldn't score a goal. What's the odds on that? It's incredible. That was incredible. I hope he's not keeping his nine for us. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we will... The one thing we can say, yes, it is tough. It's going to be dreadfully, dreadfully tough. But we won't sacrifice the game in the way that Bournemouth did. There's absolutely no question. Eddie Howe's sides don't do that anymore. They are the outside. This defence won't do it. I'm not suggesting we won't get, get beat, but I don't think we'll get humiliated um, in, in the way that, and I don't mean by nine, but I mean like a four or a five, or, it, that can happen. But we will give them a sterner challenge in Bournemouth. Had. I mean, you know, it was like playing a rest home. Uh, it was crazy in the end, almost embarrassing. I mean, in the end, I don't think a lot of their players knew what to do when they scored, like, because they were almost having a smile, because you couldn't go wild about it. Oh, that's our seventh, you know. How do you go wild about that? It was uh, one thing that, that went under the radar that I was quite pleased about from a personal point of view. While I was delighted with Elliot Anderson for us um, at Down at Wolves, I was pleased for Bobby Clark getting on for Liverpool because it's Lee Clark's lad. Yeah. Um, yes, he left Newcastle and thanks for that, Lee. But he left him under the original circumstances, not the current circumstances. Uh, only 17, made his debut for Liverpool. By Jove, that's terrific. With Lee in the stand. Uh, it would be interesting to see whether he gets on against Newcastle. Would you... He's not going to start anything ridiculous like that. He's a bane learning again. But whether he gets on late and whether Elliot Anderson gets on late. But two bright kids, I think, one for Liverpool and one for us, players for the future. But uh, it's going to be interesting on Wednesday night. And to be truthful, Sam, if you say what's going to happen, what's the score going to be, I'd like the team sheet first, if, if I possibly could, because... Will Bruno play? Will uh, Isaac play? Will Trippier play? Will San Maximum play? There's so many injury situations that could change the whole thing. If we can put out our best side, we'll give them a game. Yeah. Um, and my best side, yes, we won't have Callum Wilson, but if we have Isaac for him um, and it was our best side, we'd give him a game. But I've got a suspicion that the game would be too early for Bruno. And we don't know where we are with uh, Maxi and Trippier. But can you imagine 
Bruno, Maxine, Trippier missing for this game. No thanks. No, especially as I think if with Bruno in there, I think we can really take hold of that midfield as well. Um, do you think this is a game that maybe we could switch to five at the back for? I know there's been a culture shift and a mentality change that you know we we want to go and play our game now. We we, we actually play nice football despite what yes. Ruben Neves thinks. But is this a game at Anfield to to maybe? And you mentioned before the the centre back dilemma for Eddie Howe as well. Is this a game maybe to switch to five at the back? Just as yeah, they, they, I think I think it's possible, Sam. I mean, we resisted the temptation against Man City um, to to get round the three um, centre halves, but we we got round it by playing Bernard left back. But that was for a home game where we want to match up and we want to be offensive, and this is for an away game. It could well, and if Bruno isn't there, if Bruno isn't there, it, it, it might be a way of trying to compensate for Bruno, who does so much terrific work in front of the back row, in the shield, if you like, for the back row. If that shield isn't going to be there, and that's not having a go at it, it, Sean Langstaff or anyone else, because they're not in the team ahead of Bruno, and that tells you everything. If he's not going to be there, you could bring Target in and and, and go with another three uh, in the middle. Um, and it wouldn't be a huge surprise. But Eddie always comes out with surprises, doesn't he, in team selections. Like we didn't know Bruno was injured, and then all of a sudden, there we go. Um, you know, he often comes out with surprises. We didn't think Byrne was going to play left-back, although we knew he could because he had done it at Brighton. Uh, so you're never quite certain what's going to uh, happen. And I think our team sheet on Wednesday will be a particular surprise because there's so many ifs or buts with injuries. You know, I don't think you could second-guess the team in win your bet down at Gladbrooks. Absolutely. I mean, I, just, I think the away section, when the teams get announced, and you can, if, if you can see Bruno, St Maximin, Isak all starting then that'll oh. give everyone a huge huge lift straight away absolutely and, and that'll make you feel a lot more confident that again i'm not saying we're, we're going to win the game but yeah. it, it, it's it's far more likely than just turning up hoping not to damage our goal difference yeah absolutely absolutely right and i mean did we expect man city to be as wonderful as it was i know it was only a draw in the end but by jove it was a wonderful draw and the performance was absolutely terrific i've never seen carol walker look so absolutely shell-shocked as he did he didn't know whether to stick or twist and there was a few of them for that first hour yes they were going to come back into it yes they've got absolutely quality yes we are going to get a little bit tired but put so much into it but in that first hour you wouldn't think they're the best passing team in the world, which is what they are. You wouldn't think that because we got amongst them and rattled cages and were terrific. And, you know, another performance like that. If I'm glad that Liverpool got the nine out of the way, but I wish they'd go one one draw so there was doubts all over their minds for when they played us and we could take advantage of that. But as I say, if, if ever you wanted a game that was going to put you back on blob, then it was uh, Bournemouth at home. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be a very, very interesting week, as it always is around Newcastle United this week with the end of the transfer window. 
and Liverpool away. My thanks to John Gibson for today's show. Uh, I'm going to cheaply plug my own podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please do search the Greenwood and Mulliner show on Newcastle Fans TV, where we interview someone uh, every Tuesday. And uh, tomorrow's podcast release is an interview with Alan St. Maximin. So feel free to uh, like and subscribe to that one. But my thanks again to John Gibson. Newcastle United remain unbeaten. Thanks everyone for listening to the Everything is Black and White podcast.